So uh, it gives me really great pleasure to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Um, he's a good friend of ours. He's a lovely guy, family man, um, senior pastor of Southampton Vineyard Church, which uh, is, for those who know Daniel and Emily Smith, who planted the uh, Gloucester Vineyard from here uh, just, just a year ago. In fact, today is their one-year uh, celebration of their Sunday services. Um, uh, but they, they start off at Southampton Vineyard. Obviously, we had to detox them, reprogram them, and uh, teach them everything. But uh, they started off in Southampton uh, with Matt. Um, he's he's absolutely great bloke. He's um, uh, obviously a pastor, a theologian, which is pretty cool, isn't it? And uh, great speaker. He's written a couple of books, actually. I need to advertise these because he's too modest to it himself. A couple of books. They're both uh, available just outside the glass window there. Matt will be there at the back to, um, to um, autograph them and write nice, nice scriptures in them for you, if you would like that. Uh, alternatively, don't have them autographed. They'll be more valuable in due course. Um, <laughs> But please, would you give a really, really warm Elsbury Vineyard kind of a welcome to our friend Matt Hyam. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's very kind of you. He keeps calling me a theologian. <laughs> That's really funny. <clears throat> um, hello. Uh, my name's Matt Hyam. As uh, Steve said, I've come from Southampton. Uh, I lead Southampton Vineyard. We started it 26 and a half years ago. You'd really think we'd be better at it by now, but uh, not. Originally, I come from Luton, um, which is, who's been to Luton? You understand why I live in Southampton, yeah? Um, <laughs> um, Southampton, as you may or may, oh no, I've got, I've, got, I've got to stay within this bit. I forgot, I got told off. Um, I'm going to have some water. If I keep the glass of water, maybe I'll stay here. I've got man flu, by the way, so... If I'm rubbish, that's why. Um, so Southampton is famous for two voyages which ended in international tragedy. In uh, 1912, it was the Titanic. And uh, in 1620, it was the Mayflower, which ended with the founding of America. Um, <coughs> so for both, we apologise. Uh, <coughs> um, I uh, got to know Steve uh, a little bit last year, and it's been great getting to know him. Uh, I read his book recently, which is fantastic, although a little bit intimidating because he knows lots of long words. And I hear that you guys play uh, word bingo <laughs> with his long words. So I learned a long word to, uh, to bring here. So uh, are we working on this? It is. There you go. Hippopotamonstrosesquipedaliophobia. Anyone got that? Uh, and anyone know what it means? Sorry? Fear of horses. You'd think, wouldn't you? It's fear of long words. <laughs> um, it's even funny if you actually read the breakdown of it, because it's, someone's just having a laugh. Seriously. So, uh, if you haven't got that in the word bingo, that's the word for today. Hippopotamonstrosesquipedaliophobia. Okay, so, uh, over the last 20 years, I, uh, as an individual, and we as a church, have been... Uh, in a process of rethinking a great deal of our assumptions, and, uh, but particularly at the heart of it is, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Um, what, what does it mean? Because I, I think I got fed up, I got to a point about 20 years ago, and I thought, we're just geared up for uh, getting people to pray a prayer and essentially entertaining them until they die. 
And I've got this feeling that that's not meant to be what it's for. And, and so I want to talk to you today about what does it actually mean to be a Christian. So I'm going to read John 3.16 because many theologians would agree that, proper theologians, not like me, would agree that this is a summary, this is the distillation of the good news from Jesus. So is that coming up? Is this still working? The ears are working. Oh, there is. It's up there and everything. Seamless. Um, for God tolerated the world enough that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes the right things about him will go to heaven and whoever doesn't will be punished. That's the ACV version, the angry Calvinist version. Um, it might be a bit different in yours. Uh, has anyone ever had it presented to them in this way? Because it's kind of how it was presented to me for many years. And, and I just don't think that's what it actually says, because what it actually says is, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, I've, got, I've lost my pages here, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Okay, now, that's... As I say, often it's been presented as this, choose option A and you get rewarded, choose option B and you'll be punished. And yet, I think there's more to it than this. I mean, when we, whenever we read something in Scripture, we really have to read it in context. So, so what is the first word of John 3.16? For. What does that tell you? It tells you that something that's just been said before is crucial to understanding this. How many times have you ever heard John 3.16 quoted in the context of 14 and 15? Mm. Okay, so here's verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So now that's all really clear. So what John has done, what Jesus is doing here, is he's quoted Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, uh, the the Israelites have been naughty, and uh, the snake has become, uh, the snake, the camp has become overrun with snakes, and they've been bitten, and they're dying. And Moses, uh, God tells Moses to make this, a bronze snake, this brass snake, and he holds it up, and any of the Israelites who look upon the snake are healed of the snake venom. So this is the context, this is the story that Jesus is telling, and, and he says, for God loved the world so much, and because Jesus is raised up, he says Jesus is raised up in the same way like the, the snake was, for God loved the world so much. In other words, the people are dying but God raises up his son so that they won't die. So we're going to talk a little bit about that a bit further on. But, but the thing you have to realize is that people were already dying. They were already perishing. So uh, I would like to... Uh, I really should organize myself better. I've seen Steve's notes. They're so organized. Mine are a bit embarrassing, really. Um, <clears throat> Let's just make it up. Okay, so um, <laughs> let's look at... <laughs> I make it up anyway. 
as long as I use Greek words, nobody knows. Um, so well, I want to look at three words in this passage, three Greek words in that passage. The word for believe, the word for perish, and the word for eternal life. Um, <clears throat> because I think they're crucial to us understanding what this good news is. So the first word, the word believe, uh, the Greek word is pistis. Um, I heard someone snigger then. Um, now, if you look up in the Oxford Dictionary what believe means, have I gone too far? I'm right here. I'm okay here. It's like something in my mind. Sorry. Um, uh, what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah, believing. So if you look up believe in the uh, in Oxford Dictionary, it says, it, it says to accept that something, something is true, to understand something, to agree with something. So uh, th- as we understand the word believe today, it basically means we give mental assent to something. I agree with these facts. But that's not what pistis means. Um, pistis means to put all of your trust in something. In my other life, I, uh, I water ski. Um, I spend all summer by the side of a lake uh, water skiing. My son's rather embarrassingly wakeboard, but uh, I am sticking at skiing. I am also a qualified water ski coach, which means nothing. Um, I would like to teach someone to ski. You're, it's James, isn't it? Have you ever skied? <laughs> I just picked on you. T- you have? Have you ever water skied? Okay, would you like to come up here? I'd like to teach you how to water ski. Now... Um, uh, could you sit down facing me? It takes a long time for your staff to get down to the ground, I've noticed. This happened to... um, put your feet a little bit apart, like this, and bring your knees up to your chest. So this, this is the handle. I'm the boat. I am your boat for today. Now, um, when you ski, everything about water skiing, whatever level you reach, is the exact opposite of your instincts. Um, and when you're learning to ski, when the boat starts to pull... Who's ever had a go at it? Yeah. How did you get on? Bad. Okay, so as the boat starts to pull you up, everything in your head is going to say, I've got to pull myself, or I've got to stand up. Okay, but you don't. Because the boat is 400 horsepower, and you're what? A quarter? Okay, so who's going to win that fight? <laughs> so... If you keep your ankles and your knees relaxed, and you keep your arms relaxed, as the boat starts to pull you up, you will come up uh, and, and say so you're balanced, and then you can stand up. Okay, so I'm the boat. We're ready to go. I'm going to pull you up now. now. Now, see, what did he just do? He just stood up. So what happened there is you strained your legs. You would have come flying straight over. Let's go back and do it again. I didn't actually finish teaching you how to ski in the first service, so I should. So, so if you keep your legs relaxed, don't try and stand up. I'm going to pull you. Let yourself come over the front there. There we go. Now you can stand. Just slowly. Keep your legs relaxed and relaxed. They're your shock absorbers. That's good. Well done. Now you can water ski. So, <laughs> that has no relevance to anything I'm saying. I just thought it was a free one. No, what I'm trying to say is that. What I find myself doing when I'm teaching beginners how to ski all the time is to say, just trust me, because everything in you is telling you to do something different. And I say, let go of your ideas and just trust me. And it's quite an active thing to do, actually, when you're learning how to ski, to, to not do what's instinctive. But, but he literally, I'm literally saying to him, let go of your agenda and trust me, which is word for word what repent and believe means in Greek. 
Let go of your agenda and trust me. So pistis means trust me. And, and the, the way you enter the kingdom of water skiing is just by trusting me. I, you know, if you do what I say, I don't say, well done, you can ski now. If you don't do what I say, I don't say, well, no, I'm punishing you by leaving you in the water. To enter the kingdom of water skiing, you're going to have to trust me. Otherwise, you stay in the kingdom of swimming or floating or sinking. You know, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not punishing you or rewarding you. It's like, this is the way it is. So if you trust me, then you're going to water ski. Jesus says, if you trust me, if you trust me, that's all I'm asking you to do, trust me. You don't have to pass it. There's no test at the end to get all the questions right so you can say, I definitely believe in Jesus. There's no declaration of faith that he's going to want you to sign. He just wants you to trust him. So the second word we're going to look at is, is perish, for, is apollomy. Um, most often, this word is translated as lost or destroyed. In fact, in the New Testament, most of the times it's translated as lost. In, in the Gospels, the vast majority of the cases, in nearly all of the cases, it's translated as lost. Um, so the lost coin or the lost sheep, um, as opposed to the dead coin or the dead sheep. Um, it's, and it always refers to something that is already lost. Already lost. And so... Um, if we go back briefly to what I talked about in Numbers 21, the people were already dying. And, and they were offered healing, life, salvation. They were already dying. And in the same way, we are all, you know, he's saying, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts me, will not perish, will no longer be dying. And in fact, the word... Uh, here's a Steve word for you, aorist. Aorist tense. Um, it, it's, it's a form of the past tense. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but, for, but it's basically a form of the past tense. And it's, it's so you can't read it as you will die. It's you are dying or you have died. You, if you trust me, you will no longer be dying. Do you understand me? If you trust me, you'll no longer be sitting in the water. If you trust me, you will not have sunk. So, and the third uh, word, uh, phrase is uh, eternal life. Aeonius Zoe. Zoe is the word for life. Now, there are two Greek words in, in the New Testament for, that we translate as eternal. Uh, one word is the word aeodius. Um, and that is always used in conjunction to, uh, with God. So, uh, we talk about the eternal Father, the eternal God. And it means everlasting, never-ending. Um, <clears throat> the other word is aeonius, which is what we see every time it applies to life. And, and it's from the word aeon, which means an age. Um, and aeonius literally means of the age. Uh, and so I have a seamless piece of uh, 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 animation for you. So, so life of the age is what it literally means. Eternal life, life of the age. So what does it mean? Well, it means that uh, the Jews had this understanding that we live in this present evil age. I don't think anyone would dispute that. We live in a time uh, where God doesn't rule fully. Uh, good is not done. We live in a time when there are horrendous things happen in the world. And it, it's, it's, it's not the way that it's meant to be. And so uh, they believed that, that, that the Messiah would come 
And, and that would be the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the time at which the oppressed are set free and the oppressors uh, are, are brought down. Um, and, and so they believed that Messiah would come, this new, the day of the Lord would happen, and this new age, the age to come, would begin. Uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, it talks about the kingdom of God. The same, it's the same thing, the rule of God. It, the rule of God, as it should be, will begin. Now, what they didn't anticipate was that there was actually uh, the Messiah would come um, and there would be an overlap between the two ages. And that's where we live right now. We live in the overlap between this present evil age and the age to come, the kingdom of God uh, in its fullness. Now, so when Jesus offers us life of the age, he's offering us the life of the age to come right now in this present evil age. Does that make sense? Life of the age means the life that you were meant to have, the life you were created for, but right now in this present evil age. And, and obviously into, into the age to come. And so... <clears throat> What we have, I haven't really messed up my notes. <laughs> oh, there you go, that's right. I've got numbers, there's numbers on them, I hadn't noticed that. Um, so, <clears throat> I, you know, I, was, I was really ill the other day, and, and uh, someone said, I'll do, I'll do a talk for you. So I showed them my notes, and they went, is that what your writing's like when you're ill? I was like, no, that's my writing normally. Um, I can't read it either, it's in tongues. Um, <clears throat> so, so we re- let's recap over it. So, Jesus asks us to believe, to trust him, so that we'll no longer be sitting in the water. So that we will not perish. Not so that we will not, he will not punish us. I saw, I saw this, um, did I send you this one about Jesus knocking on the door? Where it says, it says, Jesus knocks on the door and he says, let me in. And the voice from inside says, why? And Jesus says, so I can save you. And the voice from inside says, from what? And Jesus says, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. thing is, that's kind of funny, but it isn't. Um, so if we trust him, we will not perish, we will not sink and drown, but we will have life of the age. If we trust him, we will no longer have died, no longer be dying, but we will have the kind of life we were made to live in the first place. So maybe John... Uh, oh, oh so, so the word that have, as in have eternal life, is in the present tense. So there's no way in the Greek of reading it as choose option A, believe me, and I reward you. Choose option B, and I punish you. There's no way of reading it like that. It's, it's like, if you trust me, you will no longer have died, and you will have, right now, eternal life. So how about this, then? For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever puts all their trust in him will not have perished, but will enter into life of the age to come right now. Because that's what it says. That's the promise. Now, it's all very nice, but so what? What does it matter? Does it make any difference to anything? Well, I think it does. So... Some of you may know Jason Clark. He's a very good friend of Steve's. Uh, he and I uh, went to school together. Uh, when we were 11, we sat next to one another in English and found we had a common love of The Lord of the Rings, uh, long before it was in any way okay to like The Lord of the Rings. 
and uh, so we were both nerds. Um, and uh, so uh, he, he and I went through school together, and when we were 16, he became a Christian and started talking to me about it, and I made his life a misery for two years. I thought he really ought to earn it. Um, and then uh, I became a Christian when we were both 18. And um, when we were about 19, we're sitting and talking, and um, he, says, uh, he says to me, because we're, we're 19, we've got more hormones than is healthy, and all of those other things. And he says, the ideal time to become a Christian is just before you die. That's the perfect time to become a Christian. <laughs> See, the trouble is, you just don't know when that's going to be. <clears throat> see, see, this is my thing, because are we jealous of hedonism? And, and are we only Christians through fear? Because that statement, and I, you know, I'm not saying he's dodgy theologian or anything, and he might think differently now. <laughs> no, he does think differently now. But we both felt the same way. You know, we were looking at these people around us and just thinking, well, their life is so much better than mine. They get to just do whatever they want, and I have to go to church. And, and, and I'm not allowed, you know, here's a long, for me, it took me two years to become a Christian because Christianity was a long list of things I was going to have to stop doing. And, uh, you know, when you're an 18-year-old boy, you don't want to stop doing those things. And, and so, you know, I, I, would, I was like, well, I'm going to have to do it because I might die. So I don't want to go to hell, so I'll become a Christian. But really, my life would be so much better if I could just do what they're doing. Um, and so, I became a Christian out of fear. Anyone else do that? Anyone else scared of going to hell and that's why they did it? But have we missed the whole point? Have we missed the whole point? Is that the gospel? Is it? Because do you know what? The only time Jesus ever talked about judgment when he was either talking about or to the oppressive religious leaders. Only time he ever talked about it. All the rest is an invitation into life. In 1990, one of the World Mission Organizations celebrated its centenary. And they uh, did a sort of an audit of the last hundred years and they said, well, what... what um, Where's our most successful mission field? And they concluded the most successful field, mission field over the last 100 years was Rwanda. 85% professing evangelical Christians in Rwanda at the time. What happened two years later? Genocide. There's something wrong with that gospel, isn't there? There's something wrong if Christians in a church will just massacre one another. Or one church will go down the road and massacre the next church. There's something wrong with that story. Because that's not the kind of Christianity that Jesus is talking about when he's offering us life of the age. That can't be what it looks like to follow Jesus. When we first got involved in the vineyard, uh, we were part of another church. And they, uh, there was a couple of hundred people in the church, and a hundred of them were youth. They talked about the revival that had happened over the last two years, uh, where they'd seen a hundred youth come to Christ. And you saw them at the front, dancing, embarrassingly waving banners around, um, playing in the band, all of these things. You saw, you saw all of those things. And um, six years later, we went to India with a team from that church, and I was talking to one of those youth. He was the only one still walking with Jesus, the only one. And he was talking about the others, and he said, you know, 
I was chatting to this guy, and this guy was one of the most upfront, and he said, he said to me, what was all that about, eh? That was a bit weird, wasn't it? Didn't mean anything. You know what? They never stopped sleeping with one another. They never stopped doing drugs. They never stopped stealing cars. It didn't make any difference to their life. That's not the good news. That isn't the good news. And, and what worries me is that we can have... That kind of Christianity can inoculate us against Jesus. Where people just go, well, what was all that about? It was a funny little phase in my life. Didn't, it didn't help me. It didn't make any difference in my life. That's not the good news. That's not eternal life. So do we really know what life of the age to come is? Do we know it in ourselves? Do we know that life in ourselves? We, um, we work closely with some orphanages in India. We have done for about 20 years. Uh, we're going out again in April. Um, and it, we, the first time we went out, um, there was, uh, we were there for two weeks. It was the most exhausting two weeks of my life. I actually fell asleep standing up on a train on the way home. <laughs> um, and we, we everyone, there were 17 people on our team. Every single member of that team will, will tell you of the miracles that they saw. We saw someone, a uh, blind eye opened. Uh, my brother was praying for someone, and it's quite hard working with interpreters sometimes. And so he's praying for this guy, uh, you know, does the good vineyard thing of, you know, what's going on. The translator says something to him in Tamil, um, and he gets up and walks out. And Danny, my brother's like, uh, what was that about? He says, oh, he couldn't walk before. <laughs> I say, you know... Great stuff. I'm telling you this because we, we all saw amazing things. There wasn't a member of that team who prayed for someone who didn't pray for someone who was healed of something. And yet, if you talk to any member of that team, they will all tell you the same thing, that what impacted them most on that trip was the children in the orphanage. That, that was what impacted me. I came away from India jealous of these children who literally had nothing, who would have literally been dead or starving on the street if they weren't in that orphanage. They had nothing... But these children understood what life was. These were the most alive people I'd ever come across in my life. That, that, they, that was eternal life. That was life of the age. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with how much money you have, how good your life is, um, how, how great your marriage is. I, I have... I have uh, I have been a widow. My, I watched my wife die of cancer, and, and I was left with a one-year-old, a four-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And, and, and I tell you, eternal life is not about your circumstances. Eternal life is, is, is about life of the age to come in this present evil age. And, and being able to walk through. If our faith falls apart when stuff goes wrong, then we've missed something. It's not, it's not the eternal life that, that Jesus offers us. And, and I am sick of, of hearing about 7,000 people gave their lives to Christ. I'm sick of hearing these, these stories of people who prayed a prayer and nothing changed in their life. Because that isn't the good news that I bought into. That isn't what I want to do. I do not want a church that is about getting people to pray a prayer and entertaining them till they die. I want to be a part of a church that is about making disciples. And I know that Stephen Lynn want this. About making disciples. People whose lives are different and people who, 
who, who look at our lives and say, I want what you have. I want what you have. How do you love one another the way you do? I ask myself that question many times. <clears throat> As Wimber said, <laughs> I love the bridegroom, but have you seen the bride? <laughs> you know, loving one another, part of it. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the life of the age to come. And all we're asked to do is trust him. All we're asked to do. But, but I want this authentic faith. I want, I want this kind of faith that, that changes things. I, I, I don't want this, this shallow Christianity. I, I'm not interested in it because I don't see it in the Bible. You know there's no such thing as a convert in the Bible, only disciples. Um, now I'm just saying the same thing over and going in different ways, so I'm going to stop. <laughs>